0: Right back with Libby Schneider on Zuma Radio.
1: Well, we turn now to a very serious issue affecting your health, and it's something that many of us worry about at some point in our lives: having a heart attack or suffering from cardiac arrest. The term "heart attack" is often mistakenly used to describe cardiac arrest. And a heart attack may cause cardiac arrest and sudden death, but the terms don't mean the same thing. According to the Heart and Stroke Foundation, nearly 14,000 Canadians died of a heart attack in 2012. And each year, 40,000 Canadians suffer cardiac arrest. Sudden cardiac arrest causes death if it is not treated within Minutes, So we are going to talk about all of this with our resident medical expert. Our house doctor, Zachary Levine, is joining us to talk about heart attacks, cardiac arrest, and how we can prevent them. Hi, Dr. Zach. Hello. How are you? I'm well, and you? Excellent. Thank you. Good. So,
2: yeah, it's a very important topic, and I thought we'd start with cardiac arrest, just to to clarify what it is. And, of course, you know, it's an interest of mine just because I work in the emergency department. And I teach people, teach people how to do CPR and uh, ACLS, which is Advanced Cardiac Life Support, so how to try and save someone's life when their heart stops. But ultimately, so, I, so number one, I just wanted to bring it up so people are aware of it and that people get trained and are interested in getting trained and learn more about it because the more people who know how to deliver effective CPR, the better all of our chances of surviving if we have a cardiac arrest. And then we'll, and then we can move more into the most, the, by far the most common cause of a cardiac arrest, which is heart attack, as you said. So, so cardiac arrest basically means, it basically means, effectively your heart is not pumping. It means your heart has stopped. Now. It's possible that your heart is moving in a certain way, something called ventricular fibrillation, but basically it's not effectively pumping blood. It could be shaking and what, they, what medical people call fibrillating, but ultimately it's not pumping any blood, and ultimately that is our lifeline. You know, we need blood to be circulating at all times throughout our body to bring it the oxygen and to bring the different nutrients that we need, in, including the heart. So the heart, the heart attack is when the heart itself is not being supplied with blood, that has oxygen and nutrients. And then you know, stroke is when the brain is not being supplied with the nutrients, and that can be from a blockage. But if the heart itself stops and doesn't uh, deliver any nutrients, oxygen, and blood to the rest of the body, well, then everything begins to die. And within a few minutes, we, we, are, we are dead. So one of the things that has been seen, and they're, they're doing some good studies actually, um, a, a doctor named Laurie Morrison is running some studies out of Toronto right now about resuscitation, and right now, because survival rates, you may have seen when you were looking, are, are pretty low. If your heart stops and no one gets to you, especially if you're alone and no one gets to you, no one knows how to do CPR, the survival rate uh, for having a cardiac arrest uh, is, is 10% or lower.
1: Okay. But, now, if, if, you know you often hear uh, that unfortunately somebody has died of a heart attack. Is it, is it usually cardiac arrests that actually cause their death? Ultimately,
2: yes. I mean, I guess the, one could say that every death is cardiac arrest because eventually one of, the, one of the last, something that happens when you die is that your heart stops. However, it's not always the first thing. However, uh, in this case, with the heart stopping, the, by far the most common cause is having a heart attack. And having a heart attack means uh, a part of the heart dies because it's not being supplied with blood. Usually there's a blockage in one of the arteries. And then the the heart, as a result, is not able to pump effectively and sometimes not able to pump pump at all. And so when it stops pumping at all, what we try and do is the only two things, honestly, that have really been proven to be effective are good quality early CPR, so that's pushing on someone's chest uh, 100 to 120 times a minute, uh, and and defibrillating them. So that's why those automated uh, defibrillators are available now in a lot of public places, including malls and whatnot, and because that's, that's actually the most effective thing you can do, because most cardiac arrests, the majority of cardiac arrests, when we say the heart isn't, isn't pumping anymore, are actually this thing called ventricular fibrillation, which, like I said, it's just the heart is basically uh, shaking and quivering, and it's basically the electrical signals that cause the heart to pump in an organized fashion are all mixed up, and the way that the a quite an effective way to reverse that, and really our, our most effective way is defibrillation, which is delivering a high amount of electricity to the heart to basically, it basically resets it.
3: How do you
1: like use this. those defibrillators?
2: Yeah, so basically the ones that, the automated ones, which are the ones you'll find uh, basically in malls and public places, um, they, they should have pretty clear instructions, but ideally you'll have, you'll have looked at them. Even online you can take a look at how to do it. Basically there are two pads. You put one pad in, depending on the model, it can either be right in the middle of the chest, one pad, and one in the back, or one pad right in the middle of the chest and one in the side, just under the left uh, underarm area, the left axilla. And then basically you turn on the machine, you just press uh, the on button, and the machine will do the rest in terms of it will check the heart's rhythm, and it will instruct you as to whether or not... It's uh, whether or not a shock should be given based on its interpretation of the rhythm. And it will say, deliver shock, and then it will be up to you to press the button based on that. So the the only steps are opening up the machine, putting on these pads and pressing on, and then it will instruct you as to whether or not you can deliver a shock or not. Because some rhythms, uh, unfortunately, are not amenable to shocking. They don't, uh, people's hearts won't respond to that. So it's only a couple of specific rhythms. But ventricular fibrillation which is the most common cause of cardiac arrest, is one of those rhythms that will respond to uh, cardioversion or defibrillation, I should say.
1: Okay, uh, Zach, I'm just going to give the numbers out again. 416 360 toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm on the line with our house doctor, Zachary Levine. We're talking about cardiac arrest and heart attacks and Zach, you were just talking about atrial fibrillation. Now, this is something that is really common yes. with zoomers, and it's something that people control more or less. And, and how do you know you have it, and what are the things you can do about it?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because you're absolutely right. It's very, very common. You know, I mean, I don't know the numbers offhand. It would be easy to find out, but but it's by far the most common arrhythmia. And so how, so what does it mean? So basically the heart is composed of four chambers, the two atria, the smaller, the smaller chambers, and the two ventricles, the big chambers that contract, the left ventricle being the one that pumps to the entire body. And so fibrillation just means kind of shaking. It means there's no organized electrical activity. Normally you have a pacemaker in the heart called the SA node, and it basically pumps somewhere between 60 and 100 times a minute very regularly, and that gives us our regular pulse. However, in a lot of people, and uh, this, And there are different reasons for it. The most common again is coronary artery disease, but other reasons include issues with the valves um, and and other issues that uh, including alcohol. Some people will get atrial fibrillation from uh, drinking a fair bit uh, but basically, you can get it, it from that,
1: caffeine, I think can you
2: yeah, so different stimulants, yeah, if you have a lot now, the good thing about wh- those cases usually are uh, like short lived you know so, like when I was talking about um, alcohol there 's something called Holiday Heart. Uh, doctors refer to it. So people go on a binge, basically, of alcohol and other stimulants, like you were mentioning, caffeine. That can give you this atrial fibrillation. And basically, it just means the atrial, its not pacing regularly, but you're still you're still effectively pumping blood. But the the problem with it is, if your heart isn't beating regularly, you're at an increased risk of forming clots. And clots are are clots are good if you want to stop bleeding, but they're an enemy within your bloodstream because they can cause they can cause other things They cause blockages, including stroke. So stroke is the big fear with people with atrial fibrillation. And so that's why we either thin the blood or we try and revert people back into a regular rhythm. And, and to answer your question, how do you know? <clears throat> pardon me. Some people don't know. That's the, the truth is some people don't know, and they only find out when their doctor takes their pulse or when they, have, when they have a routine electrocardiogram. Uh, the people who do know, usually it's because the heart's going too fast from the fibrillation, and so they get the most common symptom would be uh, palpitations so you're basically feeling an uncomfortable feeling of your heart beating either quickly or very strongly that's what people usually feel and in those cases they come they come in we do an electrocardiogram, and then we determine what the best way to treat it is and I'll just make one distinction which is there's the atrial fibrillation which again is very common and it does it does confer a risk of stroke over years so depending on what your risk factors are if you don't treat atrial fibrillation, in general, the risk is about 5% uh, a year of having a stroke. Just to, so I don't confuse people, V-fib, which is uh, just short form for ventricular fibrillation, is when the ventricles are fibrillating and shaking. And that, that is not uh, as benign, not that AFib is totally benign, but V-fib is not a, uh, an effective rhythm. So basically V-fib is the most common cause of uh, cardiac arrest because you're not pumping blood at all with VFib.
1: Okay, Zach, we have to take a break. Uh, So before we go, we're talking about heart issues. We're talking about cardiac arrest. Heart attack, you know, some people don't even know if they've had a heart attack. We're talking about atrial fibrillation, which is something that is really common in Zoomers. And we have Dr. Zach here, and he is ready to take your questions on that. And you can ask him other things. Uh, He's an emergency doc, so he knows about all kinds of medical conditions. Before we go to break, the numbers to call, 416 360 0740 or toll free 1 866 740 4740. And we will be back with Dr. Zach after this.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. I have our house, Dr. Zachary Levine, on the line. We are talking about some very serious heart issues, cardiac arrest, heart attack, atrial fibrillation, and he is taking your calls on those and other issues. We've got Charles in Markham. Hi, Charles. Hi. Uh, Hi there. How are you? Fine. How are you?
4: Oh, fine. Thank you.
1: I'd like to ask uh,
4: Dr. Zach a question. Sure. Uh, I I think I have atrial. F- Fabrication, yeah. and um, I had a pacemaker put in my a, a, in my near my heart. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that was last year. And this year uh, in July I got a what they call it a seizure. You know. Oh wow. Okay. A seizure, and to take me in an ambulance to the doctor to the doctor uh, in the emergency, and uh, I don't know what's the reason for the seizure but I'd like to know uh, is there any anything that I can do uh, to prevent it or uh, I got to go and see the another doctor tomorrow oh good uh, yeah
2: it's a good question Charles and definitely definitely worth uh, asking and I'm actually a bit surprised or I hope that if you didn't get more information that you will get more information tomorrow because, yeah, having a seizure is obviously something serious, and, and investigations have to be done as to why it happens so that you can prevent it happening again. If you're wondering if it's related to the atrial fibrillation and the pacemaker, um, it's, it's not likely. People can have, if, if the heart is not pumping effectively, what will happen is you won't get enough blood supply to the brain and you will pass out. And some people will have a few beats of a seizure when they pass out. So that's really, that's, really pa- that's different from an actual seizure because a seizure is a, a proper seizure, uh, by definition, is something that's coming from the brain. It's coming from this extra electrical activity in the brain. And that usually, it needs to be diagnosed either with uh, a CAT scan or an MRI or an EEG where they look at the electricity in the brain. So there may be some relationship there, but yeah, I, I would say, you, yeah, you absolutely need to get more answers as to what the cause of the seizure is. And that and that comes with doing a few uh, a few other tests. It's most likely not related to the heart condition. Oh, I see. Okay,
4: because I'm going for
2: the EEG test tomorrow. Good, good, good. See, that's perfect because they have to. That's where they, they figure out what the cause was. You know, something caused you to seize. I mean, it, it, things happen for a reason, and it may be that there's a little part of the brain that is acting up. It just has uh, basically you get these. Uh, we all have these electrical impulses in the brain, but if you have a whole bunch in a motor area, it causes your body to move and you can't control it. And the EEG can show exact number one if if that is what's happening, and number two exactly where it is, and then they can control it uh, with medication. Sometimes they'll actually do uh, a procedure to to uh, ablate or burn that little area so you don't have seizures. But uh, I'm glad you're getting that follow up.
4: Yeah, I, I uh, the doctor has prescribed me a, what do you call that? Uh, for the, to prevent the seizure a tablet known as uh, capra yes yes capra
2: yeah so I that's think one of
4: the, twice uh one in the once in the morning one at night time
2: yeah that's one of the more modern uh, anticonvulsant medications and so they definitely think you had a seizure now they have to figure out you know what the cause of it is and if uh, and what the best treatment for it is Um, and it doesn't sound like they think it's from your heart because they wouldn't put you on an anti-convulsant, anti-epilepsy medication if they thought it was related to your heart issue. Oh, I see. Okay. But before the
4: pacemaker, I had uh, what you call a TIA.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that that has to do with, it is certainly related to atrial fibrillation, TIA, because uh, when your heart isn't beating regularly, you do have more at risk of forming blood clots, and so sometimes a tiny, tiny little blood clot will get up to the brain and and cause a TIA, which is basically we call it a mini stroke. It's basically just it's not mini; it's a temporary stroke. So people have the symptoms of a stroke because an area of the brain isn't working, but they resolve within a few hours, within 24 hours by definition. Okay, that, that okay, Charles.
1: Treatment. Thanks for your call. We have other callers waiting. Thank you very much. Okay, bye bye. Bye. Okay, we've got uh, Tony in Toronto. Hi, Tony. Yes, Libby. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you?
5: Okay, and uh, I'd like to ask Dr. Zach a few questions.
1: Go ahead. Uh
5: Yes, uh, I experienced a couple of times fibrillating. Yeah. Usually after about 8, 10 hours, it goes away.
2: Uh Uh-huh, right.
5: Yes, and uh, once actually I went to the hospital and they told me... uh, that they gave me some literature saying that most of the time you don't have to be uh, hospitalized or go to the emergency because they usually all go away by itself. Mm. But uh, like, uh, at what point should I go to the hospital of uh, having a reoccurrence? It's
2: a great question, Tony. And are you having it? How often do you get the the episodes of fibrillation?
5: Uh, I had one uh, past September, and uh, this uh, past month I had a couple times. You know.
2: Okay. And one, one other question: Did they put? Did they give you a Holter monitor, one of those monitors that? that
5: uh... Yeah, I had that done and I had uh, the whole thing done, but okay. uh, they gave me this uh, drug, uh, metoprolol. Yes. And uh, like what I did, like the last time I was at the women's college, they uh, told me if it happens again to take about 12 milligrams uh, every six hours. You know how? Would you yeah, think? yeah,
2: yeah. Okay.
5: Well, so to answer your question, certainly if it
2: ever persists, there's no there's no um, ma- amount of time that is agreed upon in the literature. If ever you're getting other symptoms, including chest pain, shortness of breath, nausea, dizziness, sweating, any of those symptoms. Well,
5: like you mentioned, doctor, like I get a little bit, you know, it gets you a little bit edgy. Yeah. Uh, not so much of chest pain or anything like that, but uh, very uncomfortable, you know, because uh, the, the the rhythm is not there, you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would say if it's happening more frequently, what you were saying earlier, it's actually quite a debate these days among uh, doctors and cardiologists specifically. Some people feel like we should be treating people with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, which is what you have, which basically means it comes and goes. We should be treating them more aggressively because maybe you're having a lot of episodes that you're not aware of, and maybe you're at higher risk than we think. So, I would say do you have a follow up coming
5: up with your cardiologist by any chance Well uh, I probably have to make an appointment and uh, I was done Can
1: I can I interject with a question before we take our next caller Um I know of some people who have had this treated by the, uh, that that procedure you mentioned ablation where they yes. they find the spot that's responsible I don't really understand how that works and they burn it and it's gone So at at what point should people be asking for that procedure? Well,
2: I think, you know, I don't think there's any reason not to ask for it and not to ask. In some people, it may not be possible depending on the location, but there's no, there's no harm in asking your doctor, you know, am I a candidate for that? Especially if the doctor's saying, well, you're going to need to go on strong medications, including a blood thinner for the rest of your life yeah obviously there's no harm in saying listen am I a candidate for ablation before we before we you know go on to this very serious medication for the rest of my life it's worth it because they so they do electrophysiological studies and they can see where the problem is the, with the electrical conduction system and like you're saying if they can burn the right spot then hopefully they can prevent the
5: atrial fibrillation from happening
2: uh, ever again so that's it's definitely something worth bringing up with your doctor and Tony, I think you should uh, see your cardiologist
5: again. Oh, definitely. I uh, probably probably make an appointment and uh, to see one. It's oh, just uh, okay.
1: Okay, haven't... Tony. Thanks a lot. We oh. have some uh, callers waiting, and good luck oh, with your thank appointment. You. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, we've got Desmond. Hi, Desmond.
3: Hi, my Mary. Good morning.
1: Good. Hi. It's good afternoon. Go Hello, ahead.
3: Good afternoon. Would I speak to Doctor Zuck? Sorry. Yes, sir. Would I speak to Doctor Zuck?
1: You're speaking yeah. to him.
3: Yes. Um Dr. I would like to find out what's causes reptile dysfunction.
1: Oh,
2: okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's funny because even though it seems it's unrelated, it is it is related. So erectile dysfunction, yeah. uh, I'm sure most people have heard of it. It's basically, the, the problem is with the amount of blood yeah. and the blood flow and the circulation to the penis.
1: Yeah.
2: And so... It, it is a circulatory problem, which is exactly what we're talking about. Now, it's not, it usually doesn't come from the heart itself. It's usually more local, like the area of the penis. The, the blood vessels are not able to open up enough, and it may be related very commonly to atherosclerotic disease, which is this blockage within blood vessels, which can, which can happen anywhere. It's, by the way, it's not a problem just in your heart or just in your brain or just in the penis. It's a systemic disease if you have these plaques on your arteries. And so it's related to all the different things that uh, cause atherosclerosis and those things being smoking, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure and family history uh, as well, as well as being, you know, a sedentary uh, person or or obesity. And I think uh, hopefully, you know, Desmond, there are effective treatments, but the the point is uh, you have to figure out exactly ideally what the cause is first. Uh, but because if it's, if it's a vascular problem, then the, you know, the medications that we've, we've heard of, like uh, Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, those are effective. But there are other causes, and those medications won't be effective if it's, if it's not a circulation problem, although most, in most cases it is. So uh, it's definitely something very treatable, though, these days, and I would encourage you to see your doctor and get it, get it figured out so it can be treated.
3: Well, right now I haven't got a family doctor because my family doctor retired. Oh yeah, about about a year ago now, and I hadn't got a direct family doctor.
2: Oh uh, yeah, that sucks. Uh, I'm sorry uh, about that, but certainly you can still go to a clinic. I would go to a walk-in clinic. Sometimes they can they can they can certainly even if you're not able to have a family doctor, they can order tests. They can do some blood tests and try and figure out what the cause is, and and treat it. Uh, ideally, of course, you'll get a family doctor eventually. But in the meantime, uh, just go to whatever clinic you can, because uh, like I said, it's very treatable.
3: Okay, because I remember sometime in two thousand and six, uh, I got a, to Sunnybrook Hospital, and the, this doctor told me that I did have a blood clot. Mm. So they gave me said so they gave me some like a plastic tubing in my vein mm-hmm. to clear the blood clot. Yes, but I, if the thing still bothered me, I can't get to the final part of it. What caused?
2: yeah because
3: okay, well, doctor told me that i have high cholesterol yeah and uh, i have a touch of uh, blood pressure
2: uh-huh it's, so anything you can do to improve those things will improve the the other things that we're talking about yes and i understand i i, I hear your frustration about uh not having a doctor it's very common around my parts as well but <laughs> in the meantime Uh, you know go to whatever clinic you can and at least you can see a doctor and they can do some testing and help you out okay desmond good
1: luck with that thank you right okay nora in fergus (coughs) good afternoon Libby and dr zach my doctor has told me i have a heart murmur and my mother also had that uh would you be able to tell me a little bit about it
2: yeah absolutely so Heart, murmurs, heart murmur is a uh, sign, so basically when a doctor listens to the heart, there are some normal sounds, which are the, the normal pumping of the heart. And then if there's sort of a, a humming or a blowing sound, we call that a heart murmur. Now, the, So it's just, it's just a descriptor, and it, what it doesn't tell you or me or any, anyone uh, at all is whether it's something significant or not in the sense of if it's important or dangerous because many people have heart murmurs and one thing i should say that's good Nora, is that at least you know about it because very frequently when i see someone for the first time i'll listen to their heart and i'll say you have a heart murmur you wear that And it's very helpful when they say oh yeah i've had that for 20 years my doctor told me it's nothing to worry about et etc." et cetera. Uh, if if it ever comes up the, the reasons we we worry about it are there are certain certain types of murmurs that we worry about more and certainly if it comes up uh, if you have a new murmur associated with other heart conditions like like you're having chest pain or shortness of breath and suddenly you have a murmur that's concerning now if there's concern about it and this is your doctor and you can decide about this if there's concern about whether it's a benign versus a serious heart murmur then the test to do is an echocardiogram which is just an ultrasound of the heart where they look where they look at what's causing it and basically i didn't say what what caused it but any kind of um, flow that is not smooth will cause it. So if there's a valve that's a little bit sticky, so the blood kind of rush, doesn't rush through it as cleanly, if, um, if, if things aren't, uh, or, or sometimes it's just uh, the makeup of your heart. Like I said, some people have it their entire lives, and it's nothing serious. And the only the only way really to know is to do this ultrasound, take a look at the heart, and then they can say, okay, you know, your, your mitral valve has a little... Uh, little stenosis, or there's, there's many, many different things that it could be. So if your doctor's not worried about it, then that's a very good thing, uh, and it's also very good that you know about it. But if there's any concern, um, an ultrasound is the way to know exactly what's causing it. Thank you. I can't feel it. I can't hear it. And my mother was 96, and I'm, uh, I'm 89. Uh, good for you. That's great. Thank you very much, doctor. And
1: Okay. Uh, thanks very much. All right. Uh, we are basically out of time. We've got less than a minute left. Uh, Zach, uh, your parting thoughts on this.
2: Well, you know, uh, I would. my main thing is, you know, if, take things seriously. The classic uh, symptoms for heart attack are that sort of squeezing chest pressure, shortness of breath, dizziness, sweating. But especially in women, it may not be that way. You may just feel weak or fatigued. Dizzy, sometimes jaw pain or back pain. So take take these things seriously if they're if if they're severe and they're not going away. And I would really encourage people to uh, to look up CPR and learn about it. And you know, if if you think it's never it's not a bad idea to have one of those AEDs in your house if there's people with uh, that you're worried about, because uh, you could uh, you could really save a life.
1: Uh-huh, and uh, certainly to have it at your workplace and, and maybe uh, sign up for those, uh, you know, I know they post, we're, we're giving a course on this, so m- maybe learn how to do it.
2: Absolutely, yeah, because it's scary. I mean, if you if you don't know what you're doing, it's it's scary, and it's scary even if you know what you're doing. It's only <laughs> after you've done it a few hundred times that, you know, so you, you uh, the more you can practice it and the more you can... Uh, Get, get comfortable with it, the better.
1: Okay. Zachary Levine, Dr. Zachary Levine, our house doctor, thank you so much for that.
2: Thanks, Libby.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is it for Fight Back for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one.